As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, and it is the off-season, but as we know, there is really no off-season because... Our favorite former college players right now are sweating in Mobile, Alabama, trying to impress NFL coaches. Uh, The pre-draft season has begun in earnest. There's no combine this year, so it's going to be a little bit different. So I figured we would talk about the Senior Bowl this week. And as everyone knows, the Senior Bowl practice is much bigger than the Senior Bowl game. You got got guys playing for the, the Dolphins coaches and the Panthers coaches. And I wanted to talk to somebody who keeps his finger on the pulse of this better than any other college football writer. And it is our friend Bruce Feldman, our colleague from The Athletic, co-host of The Audible with Bruce and Stu. Bruce, welcome aboard. Thank you, Andy. Uh, Like you, I am a huge nerd for this kind of thing. And so this is always the week where I'm like, man, I'm not going to get much stuff done during the day because I get sucked into watching this stuff. Well, it's, it's Tuesday to let everybody in, it's early afternoon on the East Coast. It's it's late morning where you are. There's one-on-one pass pros going on right now, and so I just watched I just watched that that tackle from Cincinnati who had played D line at Michigan and then got moved. You know, played one year at, at left tackle, and now he's trying to get in the NFL as a tackle. I'm fascinated by all of it. Uh, so yeah, we will definitely nerd out. But Bruce, one of the things I think is so interesting about this particular Senior Bowl and and could be so valuable about this week for a lot of these guys is a lot of these guys didn't play either by their own choice or because their school didn't play. And now they're in a situation where this is their, their last shot to put something on tape. And the the one Bruce who, who just jumps out to me is Jamie Newman, because we spent the entire off season thinking, Oh man, this is going to be the new quarterback at Georgia. They're going to change the offense for him. It's going to be incredible. You know, can they compete with Alabama for the sec title or the national title? And then shortly after they start practice, he opts out. And now this is this is the last chance to see him. Yeah. And so he spent, I think since late September, he's been with Quincy Avery, who's a private QB coach who has spent a lot of time working. Mostly uh, Deshaun Watson's probably his biggest client, but he's got a handful of other guys. And, and Trey Lance is also, and I know, I'm sure we'll talk about Trey Lance in a bit, but um, yeah, the, that's the thing. I think because 
there was a little bit of a Joe Burrow factor that some of us were probably projecting who's going to be the Joe Burrow kind of impact guy. And you got a new offensive coordinator who was coming in at Georgia. And there was a lot of pieces there. Now they had to replace a whole bunch of offensive linemen. But as as much um, ramp up as fast as it got around Jamie Newman, who, by the way, did some really good things at Wake Forest in a very different offensive system, it just kind of fizzled out as quickly when he ended up he ended up uh, bailing and and really just now has spent I guess it's the last three or four months basically with Quincy Avery trying to continue to develop and get more polish as a quarterback and as a passer and so we'll see how that takes how that takes shape because obviously this is a loaded quarterback class starting with Trevor Lawrence at the top so where will he fit in is going to be very interesting yeah and the thing was he wasn't as much as we talked about in the offseason you'd think he was like a first second round guy he was projected as a fourth to sixth round guy coming out of Wake Forest the idea I think behind the move to Georgia was to improve that situation I think it's probably the decision hurt that quite a bit and now he's got to he's got to compete for reps against uh, on his team, I believe he's got Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, who had great seasons. Mac Jones being projected as a potentially late first round pick, Kyle Trask being projected as a, as a second round pick, and on, on the other side, uh, the other and roster, Kellen Mond's there too, by the way. Yeah, Kel- that's right. Kellen Mond's on that team. The other roster has Sam Ellinger and Ian Book and Felipe Franks, and so there's a bunch of quarterbacks who we got a, we got to see a lot this year. And so, yeah, I I would think the pr- there's probably as much pressure on Jamie Newman this week as anybody. Yeah, I, I totally agree because of what everything we just said, but also, you know, the thing is, here's a projection from is he going to be on? I feel like a lot of these guys are going to be not Trevor Lawrence per se, but they're going to be guys where it's like, okay, what are they going to look like in two years? Do we feel like we see enough in him? That makes us feel like, you know what, we would want to draft him maybe third, fourth, fifth round and see if we can develop him into something. Because I just don't think somebody's going to look at him and say, this is a guy we're going to plug and play. And he's going to, you know, there's Trevor Lawrence and there's and there's obviously Zach Wilson from BYU and 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 Justin Fields and maybe Trey Lance is in that group. I mean, I think he'll get drafted high. It's just who are the guys we think are going to really get the ball pretty early and then who are the other ones who they we think they may invest in and say hey this guy could be a development guy that has a chance down the road yeah it's going to be really interesting and and there's a lot of guys in this situation there some of the small school guys whose team didn't play some guys who left uh after the season started kylan hill's another one who's interesting to me bruce because you know he has that incredible first game as a receiver out of the backfield for Mississippi State against LSU, and then it just all goes downhill. He winds up leaving the team, and it's just, I mean, this is a guy who was one of the best running backs in the SEC in a more traditional offense when when Joe Moorhead was there. I would think this is someone who can give you production in the NFL, but you the, with a lot of these guys this year, you're going to say, okay, well, why didn't why'd you leave? Why didn't you play? What, what happened there? And, and that's... That's he's a prime example of that. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a, a real interesting uh, evaluation for scouts because on one hand, when Charles Huff's the new coach at Marshall, but he was at Alabama the last couple of years. But before that, he he um, was a guy who really helped develop 
Hill into a standout running back. And then he left to go to Alabama and Mike Leach came in. Obviously, we know about Mike Leach's system. And let's just say that there was some clashing that went on there. And just so a the tad, is, just a little. Just a tad, yeah. And I guess the questions are going to be not necessarily what the word is out of Starkville. I think how Kylan Hill you know, addresses his side of it um, and then how confident and comfortable the NFL personnel people are with him going forward. Because talent-wise, you look at him and go, as you said, really talented all-around running back. He belongs in the NFL, um, skill set-wise. So the question is, how comfortable are they going to be with the answers they get from him? Um, from everything I had heard, that this situation could have blown up a little more than it actually did. And it yeah. maybe to to the people involved's credit, it didn't, especially in, and on his part, because I think, you know, look, Andy, at this stage in 2021, everybody's got an open mic with Twitter. And for the most part, it didn't seem like, you know, Kyle and Hill, quote, quote, unquote, like vented and went off. No, he didn't. Um, and, and remember, Kyle and Hill's Twitter was something that people were paying attention to because it was a tweet from him ultimately that it was kind of the final push to get the Mississippi State flag changed. You know what? I it's crazy, but you're right. I, I, I it's this has been such a, a long, such a long year. Yeah. I actually no, no, forgot not, about that. Yeah, it wasn't his tweet that did it. I know a lot of people want to oversimplify that. This is, but he this, drew a lot of attention a, yeah, from it. Yeah, in leverage. This was a debate yeah. that had been going on for decades, but that was the final straw. That was the final thing that that got everybody on board, and they said, "Okay, we're going to do this." So yeah, I mean that. So he, yes, he could have torched Mississippi State on the way out did not which I think as you said I think it shows that both sides were, were trying not to embarrass one another and I think they probably did a decent job of that we'll be right back after these words looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So we've seen a lot of the Chiefs um, mm -hmm. and how what Andy Reid does with that offense. The guy in the Senior Bowl, you look at and go, "Ooh, this guy'd probably be good in Andy Reid's offense." Well, I you know, and I did. Clyde didn't play in the Senior Bowl last year, did he? No, because no, I just remember when he was... got drafted. When he got drafted, I was like, "Oh my God, that's the perfect Chiefs traffic right there." He's. It's not even fair that this dude's in this offense. Who who would I go with? Um, Najee, maybe. Well, I don't know. The guy you're going to go with a receiver, say, aren't you? I'm going to go with a receiver, and Kadarius I saw the name Tony. Of 
You're going to go Kadarius Tony because I think Kadarius no, Tony might make a good I see that working. I could see D Eskridge also being a guy, the Western Michigan guy. But the guy who mm -hmm. jumped out at me on this in this game is actually Marcos Stevenson. You know, he oh, was with Dana yeah. Holgerson for the last yep. couple of years. He is blazing fast. Um, and I'm interested to see him. I'm interested to see, you know, just in this draft process, not necessarily in the senior bowl, Tutu Atwell, you know, a guy yes. you know well from the state of Florida who ended up at Very, Louisville. If you thought Devontae Smith was skinny. Yeah. And and then this guy will time a lot better than Devontae Smith will. Obviously, Devontae Smith had an amazing career at Alabama, but I think this guy you know, those are guys I'm, I'm very curious to see how they come out because does the draft process now, because of what we've seen with the Chiefs, because of what we've seen with some of these other offenses, guys who might not be seen as big enough normally, maybe they are guys that, that will get, you know, oh, as yeah. situational guys. So, Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And, and you know, uh, our draft podcast with Dane Brugler and, and Lance Zerline, I heard them talking about Tutu and uh, Lance's issue with Tutu is he's not sure how tough he is, you know, catching the ball underneath because you still need to be able to do that. You can't just, you know, use your speed to take the top off the defense. You got to be able, you know, you look at how the Chiefs use Tyreek Hill. There are a lot of times they're throwing to him near the line of scrimmage and he's tough enough to handle those hits. And so I think that's that's the question with Tutu. Uh, the Tony thing, I hadn't thought about Tony as a Chief, but now I'm thinking about it more because they they've, They've managed to manage some personalities there. They do a good job with that. And I think that the teams that can do that well can can really kind of give themselves an advantage. Because I don't think Kadarius Toney is going to be a first-round draft pick. I think though he played his way up higher this year, there are going to be some questions about do you, do you want to be an NFL player? Do you want to be a rapper? Do you, you know, there's a lot of questions. Mm. Why, why did it take you this long to, to learn? to be a receiver kind of in the flow of the offense? Why did you have to be force fed for, for three years? And the thing about it is the growth he had this year, if he gets with the right team and the coaching staff that wants to, wants to showcase what he does well and is, and, and can manage him and, and keep him going. I think he could be really productive in the NFL because he can do a lot of things. You can put him in a lot of different places. You can hand you can hand off to him. And and he can get you yards. So, I, I he's a fascinating one to me because I, I don't think he's going to be a super high pick. I like now he might be a second or third round pick, which is still a high pick. But it may be one of those where we're looking back and he's like, oh, he they they got him there because his ceiling's really high. It's just they're you got to worry about some some other things and and, and I, nothing terrible. It's just that you know, with Florida. He didn't quite grasp what they wanted out of him in the offense for a long time. And, you know, in the NFL, you need to be able to do that. You need to be coming and figure that out. Yeah, and that's the, that is the challenge of how quickly guys fit in. And, uh, yeah, so this is just looking at these rosters. It's a really fun evaluation part. Um, you know, there's a lot of speed guys here. And I think that's, you know, I'm looking at my old, you know, I remember my old freaks list, you know, and yeah. I see a lot of dudes on here. Yeah, this this is this is going to be an interesting and and can you imagine what what this is like with these guys that that know there's no combine that you know they're going to have a pro day but it, it's you still don't even know what your pro day is going to be like I think probably if you're from a, a school in the south you you can reasonably expect they're going to be in person attendance at your pro day uh, but let's say you're 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 at a California school are you going to have it on campus pro day 
No, I don't know if you guys, I mean, you know, who knows what you can do, you know, a, a month or two from now. I mean, you know, I'll say this, Andy, and this is nowhere near as important, um, you know, in terms of draft stuff or whatever, but like, you know, I yesterday I was outside in the middle of the day at, you know, my kid's soccer practice and there was, you know, 40 kids out there running around with masks. Um, does that mean, you know, like I, I think it's, I'm curious as to how they're going to, how they're going to handle all this stuff. Cause I mean, there's definitely things that are, you're able to do out here. It's just, I don't know. I mean, is it, how does the, how, how do each of these teams want to handle it? How did each of these universities going to handle it? Yeah, it's, it's going to be wild. And, and so I think the, what they're doing in mobile is probably the best chance for a lot of these guys. And I am curious because another position we, we've talked about a little bit, and I, I talked about this with Dane Brugler when he was on a little while ago. D tackle is not a deep position in the draft this year. There, there, there is there is room for some people if they are if they can be impressive to get drafted maybe ahead of where they would in a normal year. Because at this point, it's kind of Christian Barmore is is accepted as the the first round guy from Alabama, and then kind of everybody else. So like, let's say Marvin Wilson has a great Senior Bowl practice. That feels like a guy to me who could be taken a little bit higher than he would have. And, and if you look at Marvin, they made him play all over the defensive line. He played in, I think he played in four different defenses at Florida State. So it, he's he's not had a lot of continuity. And maybe he just needs a chance. Yeah, I, I still remember pretty vividly. I spent a week with LSU, Ogeron's first signing class. And... At the beginning of the week, it was like they were they were battling to try to keep Devontae Smith from going to Alabama, and they didn't think that was going to work. Yeah. But the real like white whale to them was out of Houston, and that was Marvin Wilson, and he thought he was going to be, you know, just an absolutely dominant defensive lineman, and he got hurt. I think his second year, and as you said, there was a lot of other issues, and there wasn't a lot of talent around him, and um. You know, so we'll see if if because he definitely had his moments where he's a big time guy. I mean, there's there's a couple of guys in this game that I'm really interested in who, who are both West Coast guys. One guy is super explosive, former great wrestler who actually had a really good year, albeit in a truncated uh, 2020 season, and that's Osa Odigizua. Yeah, um, I, I thought really you disruptive, him. very interesting. And then the other one who I always thought was like an underrated player because we did a bunch of Washington games was Levi, Levi Anzarike. Who, yep. who I was just watching, watching him doing the one-on-ones, and, and he's one that that is is very interesting because I don't think he's going to get triple teamed <laughs> as much in the NFL as he did at, at Washington. It, it felt to me, Bruce, like especially until this year, like they didn't have the, the edge rushers that you worried about, and so just – he just got beat up on because he was the best guy on the D line. Yeah. I think what happened with him last year was it was kind of a gap between they had a lot of promising young defensive linemen who maybe weren't ready. And they did have Joe Tryon, who I think will, my guess is he'll be a top 50 or top 60 pick. Joe Tryon was a long, uh, hardworking, uh, you know, energy guy who, I think was still a developmental guy, but did make some plays for Washington, but another one who did not play this year. So both of those guys, you know, you'd mentioned before about lots yeah, of money on play. the table. Yeah. Did not play. They both opted out. Um, so, 
So we'll see how high those guys can go. Onzerike is not a huge guy for an inside guy. I'm, I'm interested to see how they evaluate him and what they think he is. But he definitely can make a lot of plays. And, you know, I I liked him. I was surprised that he didn't have more more talk around him coming out, you know, last year. But we'll see if it, you know, we'll, we'll see so if it So tell me, goes. now, I, and help me pronounce our, our friend ZTF's name. It's, it's Zion Tupuola Fatui, right? Yeah, it's actually, once you say it twice, it's not that hard. So Zion is definitely yeah. was a developmental guy, and I think he benefited yeah. from Joe Tryon moving out. And, you know, they love that kid. I mean, he was the the Pac-12 lineman of the week, like the first so three weeks if, of the if season. If Levi gets to play on a line with him, with him this year, with, 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 with the ZTF we saw this year, I feel like that's a different story. Because it, it always felt like when, when they had Vita Vea or Danny Shelton, that those inside guys were somewhat protected because there's always somebody good on the outside. Yeah, and they had, and they had Greg you, you had Gaines worry in there who was a yeah. really, really oh, yeah. good player for he, a long time. He played eight years at Washington, and he was tremendous every single one of them. Yes, Greg Gaines wins the wins the award for most looks like um, uh, Big Country, the uh, MMA fighter oh. forever. <laughs> so. I thought you meant Big Country Bryant Reeves, the, no, uh, no, the former no. Oklahoma State player. But... Yeah, Greg Gaines was just one of those guys. Like he, he's built to uh, to to hold two gaps. Like he, he was created to hold two gaps. So, yeah, I, I, it's but the Levi situation is interesting because he didn't didn't play this year, and you know now he has that chance. I do wonder with some of these other guys, like Micah Parsons, not there now. He was going to be a, he was leaving early. I think you have to have a degree to play in the Senior Bowl if you left early. But I do mm -hmm. wonder if some of those guys wish they'd got that they had a chance to be out there this week. Some of those opt outs, like I don't think Jamar Chase, I don't think it matters to him. But I do wonder with some of those other guys who who maybe could move themselves up a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Jamar Chase. There's a debate that I have in my house with another football fan about like Jamar Chase versus Devonte Smith. Can can, can we tell everybody about the football <laughs> fan in your house? Can we please? It's nuts. Nuts. Our kid is, one of our kids is six years old and like just is obsessed with the sport. And so he thinks Jamar Chase is the best receiver. Like he'll go into the NFL and dominate or whatever. And he looks at the guy in the Vikings who he remembered at LSU being Justin really Jefferson. good and going. Yep. To, yeah. So, um, and I, I, he can't quite process at, at his age, like, wait a minute, that other, wait, the other guy who won the Heisman, who's really skinny he wasn't the second best receiver in college football last year. So, you know, his transitive property as well must be. And I was well, like, well, it's a lot more complicated than that. I think you should tell young Ben <laughs> to look at the 2019 Alabama receiving stats. And I think he'll be quite surprised when he sees who led Alabama in receiving yards and what that guy's average per catch was, despite the fact that he was there with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and a healthy Jalen Waddell. That would be Devontae Smith. Yeah, I mean, you know, getting back to your point on on this though, it is, yeah, I don't, I don't think like scouts had one amazing year, and it was a long year because it was fifteen games to see Chase. Right. I I think when you start getting into some of these other opt out guys, like Michael Parsons, uh, is another wow you physically. I think there's some other parts of his game where I think they want to see okay. You know, where his eyes always in the right place. He's just so athletic. He makes a ton of plays. You know, I think he will be hard for people not to go in on high because they're going to just go, wow, there's nobody else really like him. 
coming I, I out think, of this draft. I, I think Greg Rousseau could make himself a top five pick or or get himself bombed out if he were at the senior bowl this week. Like he's another one of those mysteries where physically he looks perfect. This is the Miami edge rusher who opted out this year, who looks, I mean, looks like a billion bucks. Yeah. I'm, I, I wonder, like you're going to have him who was a, who was a, I don't say late developer because he, you know, he had a terrific career early on once he got healthy at Miami, but he wasn't a huge recruit. Whereas his not teammate, but kind of teammate, Jalen Phillips, who transferred in there, was obviously a five star right. number one. And Jalen Phillips is a remarkable athlete too. Like, how do those evaluations gonna? You know, I, I would love to hear from from scouts as they get further into the process of those two players about what they see, where they see them two years from now, all the stuff that goes in. Because I think it'd be a fascinating study. Um, they both have, I would say, you know, NFL future Pro Bowl talent. It's just, you know, what do they see? Where? Also, how do they fit? I mean, mm-hmm. not to hijack this up for a minute, but like I had an I'll interesting discussion with a, uh, with a coach in the NFL now who was talking about like how guys get drafted and where they are and, you know, in terms, especially edge rusher guys, you know, and so you look and you take an example of, of, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the Josh Allen who dominated the SEC. Yes. Who's um, with the Jaguars now. Yeah. Who had a really productive rookie year. Rookie but year then he got this, hurt last year. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I don't know, I maybe played eight or nine games, but it was like, okay, mm-hmm. were they, was the system he was in ideal for him? Was it ideal for they drafted last year, Caleb on chase on from LSU. And, you know, it was chase on probably better served as a three, four outside linebacker, which is basically what he was at LSU as opposed to a four, three, you know, defensive end. And so I think those kinds of things are, are kind of, you know, they got in the, in college football, I feel like if you are really so talented it works almost no matter what. Whereas right. in the NFL, I feel like there's a lot more that has to go into it. Well, like, so there's a guy at, at the senior bowl this week, Boogie Basham from, from Wake Forest. He's a six foot five, 285 pound defensive lineman. Uh, you know, he's, he's one of those, you got to figure out where to use him. And I'm thinking, I, I would think four, I, in a, in a three, four, feels like a good spot for him, but you could also play him at a, at a five technique in a three, four. Uh, but he also is, is pretty quick and, you know, maybe you could have him as a three technique or in a pinch on the edge in a four, three. Yeah. I mean, look, he was our number two guy on the entire freaks list this past, this past year. I mean, an amazing athlete who was really productive. I think because of his size, he probably has more versatility than some of the other guys maybe that are in that, you know, wow factor of, of as defensive ends, whether it's Quiddy Pay or Jason Owe or, or, you know, some of those other guys who are going to light it up at the combine, but maybe aren't quite as, as big as he is. Um, so he's somebody I really liked. I thought he, he, I was expecting his name to come up more. And, you know, when you start looking at these top 15, top 25 lists or even, you know, top 50 picks. So, Again, this is a big opportunity for for a guy like that to just show that because when you're when you're honestly, I mean, there's some good players around him at Wake Forest, but it's a little different than you were talking about like double teams with with Washington and everything. Like everybody right. knew he was the guy. Yeah, and it's and it's sort of like 
you know, Christian Barmore in Alabama doesn't get that treatment just because he's got so many good players around him. And and you gotta you gotta deal with all of them. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. While I've got you on, it now... Again, we're going to timestamp this. We are recording this. It is early Tuesday afternoon on the East Coast. It is uh, it is Tuesday morning late on the West Coast. Tennessee has not made a hire yet, but uh, obviously Bruce and I have been following that that search for a while. Uh, Danny White, hired as Tennessee's athletic director, uh, has always been pretty good when he hires a coach at kind of zagging where where we all expect him to zig. What what have you heard about this search? And and do, it seems like he's doing a pretty good job keeping a lid on things so far. Yeah, I, from what I've heard, he's taken going to take some big swings that they have marshaled up some money to to throw at a big name coach if it can get to that point. Um, I've honestly heard mixed things about whether PJ Fleck was somebody that was actually a candidate or not a candidate. Um, I don't, you know, there were some rumblings about Sonny Dykes. From everything I've heard, Sonny Dykes will not be the next head coach at uh, at at Tennessee. I, I read a lot I of mean, angry messages to Tennessee's president on Twitter about Sonny Dykes. So yeah, you know, like if you're Sonny Dykes, you can win nine and ten games almost every year now. The way that you've elevated the SMU program, it is he, you know, he's very comfortable there. He's a good fit there. And also, if you're Sonny Dykes, it's like, if you are going to leave, are you going to leave for, would you leave for Tennessee, a program that has been just an absolute mess for the last dozen plus years? And by the way, it's a program now that is going to be in the middle of some sort of mm-hmm. NCA investigation, because it's got to be something substantial, Andy, if you're firing not only the head coach, but nine staffers and the chancellor is talking about level one and level two violations at a press conference. I mean, that's well, that, not this insignificant. Is, this, is, this is the part I think people aren't considering. If you are a head coach and you're thinking about that job, they just convened an NCAA investigation to nuke the last head coach. Now, perhaps they needed to, to convene the investigation because they had a whistleblower and you, you have to do your due diligence, but it sure looks like they did it to get out of paying a buyout. And that's the part that would concern me as a potential next coach. So I, I, this is what, this is the part I worry about. Cause you know, I, I saw people were talking about Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator, if, if, if he would be a candidate and Tennessee fans were like, no, you can't do that. It's gotta be, gotta be somebody with head coaching experience. And I'm like, guys, you can't be that picky. Like I, I believe Danny white should take some big swings. They've got money. They have, you know, tradition, they have the huge stadium, they have the passionate fan base. So absolutely take as big a swing as you can, but understand that because of the circumstances of this, you're going to have to really convince somebody that it's the right thing for them, unless it's, you know, Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, who would crawl across broken glass for the job, or Will Healy at Charlotte, or uh, a guy like that. I, you know, would Billy Napier take this job? I mean, he's been very selective. He's been in the mix for, for some SEC things. But 
Would he take this job? I, I, I don't think know. He's turned down some better situations than that one sounds like. Um, yeah. And, you know, look, I, I could see he hired, Danny White hired Lance Leipold at Buffalo. That guy's a yeah, proven that would winner make as sense. a head coach. And especially uh, in the situation, it would make sense. Yeah. I mean, look, and he's hot. You know, he hired him before. I think you mentioned Jamie Chadwell is a hot coach. He's a good offensive coach. That's something that, you know, they desperately needed the last few years. Um, but the, th- the the thing is, and I like Tony Elliott, the thing that is, you know, is a challenge here is you just had a first-time head coach learn on the job, and it was a disaster. Um, you know, hiring any first-time head coach, I think, especially when you're going to go through what you're going to go through. Like, I wonder about it from Tony Elliott's standpoint is you get to be a head coach and there's going to be probably a lot of jobs that are going to come open in this next cycle in 2021. Do you want to say, all right, I'm going to be the guy at Tennessee without really knowing. No one can tell you for certain how bad the sanctions are going to be. Right. No one can. They can give you, they can guesstimate, but, you know, that's that's risky. Tony Elliott also makes $1.6 million a year and and can sit there and potentially wait and maybe be Dabo Sweeney's successor at Clemson. So that's another another thing you have to think about if you're him. But you know, I there the Fleck thing interested me because and, and it, it sounds like he's not in it. I think he said that he wasn't interested. But that type of person who can sell. I think that's pretty necessary at Tennessee. I go back to the year Lane Kiffin was there, and I know that that one recruiting class he signed kind of fell apart, but he did leave after after signing it, so that, that probably had a lot to do with it. But Lane was always selling Tennessee. Lane was doing things to get Tennessee's name out there, and I think in the situation you're in right now where Alabama dominates the conversation so much and you play them every year, Georgia is is – the most talented team in the SEC East. Florida has just won the SEC East. Kentucky's pretty decent every year under Mark Stoops. South Carolina, we'll see what they what, what happens to them. But you get lost in the shuffle at Tennessee, and you need somebody who can sell that program. So the, the P.J. Fleck level of salesman, I think, is actually probably necessary for this job. Uh, agreed. Now, that what, what I think is also relevant in that regard... Um, he took over a really messy situation at Minnesota. I think people forget how, how, like, how many issues were going on. Now, the challenge with him, and I'm not saying he's going to be the guy, but you're also, if you're going to pay him, I mean, he's made, you'd almost have to pay him seven plus probably to get him to leave, you would think. And then you're talking about paying a guy that much who is 15 and 19 yeah. <laughs> in four this years is, in the is, Big Ten. This is the other problem you have. When, when you're trying to get somebody out of somewhere else, it, you know, and I know I've heard, I've seen James Franklin's name floated and he just did a new contract at Penn state. So he's, he's making seven and a half million dollars. He's, he's very expensive. So the, the thing about it is you're going to have to pay a premium if you're Tennessee because of the NCAA stuff. So you're, you're, you're paying a premium either on salary or on contract years and on buyout guarantee, which <laughs> again, I'm also wondering if you plan to pay my buyout if you fire me because you didn't pay the last guys. So right. it, it's just that that's the part. So it actually makes more sense if you go with the the lower, you know, group of five head coach. I like the idea of, of someone who runs an offense with a with a defined identity, who is good at finding diamonds in the rough because 
you may have to do that if you're dealing with some sanctions that, uh, that, that your fellow conference schools are not. So, and, and look, I know there's a, a faction there that wants Lane, that would love to, for Lane to, but so, is Ole so Miss, what, uh, Ole Miss is really probably a better out? job right now because of the sanction situation. Which they honestly are, are like, you know, halfway through as opposed to right. where you're just bracing for him. And by the way, and this is from somebody who knows Lane pretty well, when Lane left there the first time, when Lane left there, I should say the first time, when Lane left there, um, he had no clue, nor did anybody else on that USC staff, that they were about to get bombarded by NCA sanctions. They knew that there might be some punishment. They had no clue it was going to be like that. Ooh, so the I, idea I had not that, thought about that dynamic either. Wow, I forgot I forgot that he walked, I mean, he walked into the teeth of the USC sanctions. Yeah, he walked into a two-by-four, hitting him in square on the nose. Now, if... You know, for the people who are like, ooh, Lane's a hot name and all this, um, if Lane were to jump back into that situation, by the way, I don't know how, you know, this was this was discussed a bunch 10 years ago. When Lane left there, there was a lot of talk about how the how Tennessee was going to end up on probation if he stayed there and all this other stuff. Then Lane got to USC, and there was a lot of people who speculated that part of the reason why USC got hammered so hard was because they hired Lane. Now, I think that is. I, I think it probably had a little more to do with how Mike Garrett handled that. It had that a situation. lot more to do, yeah. yeah. But do you wonder if all of a sudden now Lane comes back there? It's like I don't know. You know that, that I, I think Lane's in it. a good spot at Ole Miss and probably shouldn't mess with that right now. If, if I'm right, just and I, being I think honest. he also would know that honestly, if they're both going well, I don't. It's not like yeah, the Tennessee football tradition is is excellent and was a long time ago but the idea that you would be able to um sorry the idea that you would be able to get um you know it's not the alabama job it's you know like no. in terms of you know I, I don't know how much even without the sanctions how much the tennessee tennessee facilities are better than ole miss but you know as you said um i don't know it's just well, I, I think without the sanction situation, Tennessee's a better job than Ole Miss. But the fact that those are looming and they're an unknown and you, you don't know the severity, that that makes it very tough to judge, which is the better job at the moment. I think all things equal, yeah, you'd pick Tennessee. But it's not like that. And and I think part of that is, it, you know, Tennessee fans kind of overestimate what their job is. They got in a big argument with me when Auburn opened. And I, I said, because we were talking about Hugh Freeze, who I still think would win at Tennessee. I just, I you know, agree. I agree. Very, I just, it's very hard yeah. to hire him in this, under these circumstances. So, but, the, well, but they want to argue well, with me. Yeah, that, that, here's your, here's your argument for the Auburn fans versus the Tennessee fans. The last two coaches who coached at Auburn, one won a national title, the other played for it. And the, one before, on the, the, last... the one before that went undefeated. The one before the, the one before that went undefeated. Terry Bowden went undefeated, and then the one before that was probably the greatest coach in school history. So Auburn's last five coaches have succeeded. Tell me about the last last three coaches at Tennessee, Andy. Not so much. Not yeah. great, Bob. No, and Butch, you know, Butch Jones is the only one who even got them uh, to a winning record. Even yeah, boy, boy, I I got a lot of flack when I wrote. And I didn't know Butch was getting the Arkansas State job that week. I had a feeling he was going to get something this year. But uh, I wrote, you know, maybe perhaps we need to revisit the job Butch Jones did at Tennessee. And and boy, nobody liked that. 
very much. But the truth of the matter is, he's been their best coach since Philip Fulmer. Oh, I mean, yeah. And the, the, I, I remember going down there after he just got the job in the spring. And they had the worst skill talent of anything I'd ever seen for a Power 5 program. Like, Derek Dooley was a disastrous hire. I mean, just like... Zero offensive linemen signed in his final recruiting class. Zero. They had a 51-year stretch of getting players drafted. Derek Dooley got in there, and they went back-to-back years without anybody getting drafted. Yeah, one of the butch years, I remember I came during spring practice and, and pro day had been the day before. And they had basically uh, people around the program explained how, how the coaches had had to apologize for the lack of talent. And that if you come back next year, it'll be better. And it wouldn't, it was better the following year, but it was just, that's, that's where they're at. And you know, it's, it's a tough spot. And if you, if you said, Andy, you're the search firm or you're Danny white, who are you going to take? I honestly think I might go for Jamie Chadwell right now. He wants to be there. And normally being from there, all that, you know, he didn't go there, but the being from there or it's your alma mater and all that statistically doesn't really mean anything. It, it doesn't. But in this circumstance, having someone who really wants to be there feels like it would be important. Rank these four guys. Jamie okay. Chadwell. Lance Leipold, Will mm-hmm. Healy, Bill Clark. Ooh. So I think I think Chadwell and Healy would handle the spotlight of Knoxville the best. And, and I know people are laughing. There's people who are listening to this in Chicago or L.A. and are like, spotlight of Knoxville. I promise you I've lived there. I do not think there is a job that is more pressure-packed in sports except for maybe Yankees manager. Like Tennessee head football coach is so pressure packed and you got to be able to deal with all that. And I think Chadwell and Healy have the skills to do it. I think Lance might too. I don't know him that well, but, but he strikes me as a very even keel guy that doesn't, doesn't let too much bother him. Uh, Bill Clark, I don't know how well he'd handle that. Uh, but, but listen, if you can handle your program getting destroyed by your board of trustees and then bringing it back, it's pretty good too. Yeah, I think the way I look at it is it's, it's a fishbowl. I mean, it, to me, it's 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 really, that's what it is to me. It's such a fishbowl job. Um, and again, I, I don't know Bill Clark hardly at all. I think I've met him once. Um, and But you, as you said, I mean, he has endured a lot of instability around him, and he's handled it extremely well. Um, so... Again, I I don't I have no idea. You know, Will Healy. We know guys who are close to him. We know we've met him. You know, I think yeah. we're both in the same boat where we think he's a good coach. It's just there's a big projection there. Well, you know? there, there's no bigger reclamation project than what he took on at Austin P. And getting them to the point where they were a winning program is is pretty much a miracle. But it's hard to translate that to the SEC. It's hard to say, does all of that translate to the SEC? But if you look at what he did, you know, a lot of that was getting, you know, getting a quarterback to sign who had some FBS interest. And, and, you know, I think he had a couple FBS offers and turned them down to go to a team that hadn't won a game. So that sort of thing, being able to, to sell that dream, you're going to have to be able to sell a dream at Tennessee right now. You're, you're not going to be able to sell results there are going to be other factors in your way. So if you can't sell dreams, you got a problem. 
which is why the guys you mentioned, they're all capable of doing that. They've all had to do that. You know, Leipold's different because he had a he had a machine at Wisconsin Whitewater. But then you you see him go to Buffalo, where you know it's it's not perfect, and he still makes that program better. So I think I think all four of those guys that you mentioned have shown that they can handle a tough situation and make it better. And I think that's that's what you're what you're looking for here. Yeah, to me, Jamie Chadwell is the one that probably gives them the best chance to get the fan base excited. It's probably the e- probably the easiest sell for them. I, that I also I think that offense with SEC level players would be really tough to deal with. That is a that is a tough offense to stop under normal circumstances with the kind of athletes you can get at Tennessee. And even even if you let's say even if you are being out recruited by half the SEC you can still get the kind of players that would make that offense very difficult to stop if you had the right quarterback. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see what they do. I really am. You know, what? who ends up taking the job. All right. Well, Bruce, we got a few hours before this podcast drops. Hopefully, this section of this podcast will run with it. Otherwise, <laughs> it'll be me and David Ubbin talking about the guy Tennessee did hire. So uh, that is that is the... Uh, the delicate balance we must endure during the off season. But Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, it has been a pleasure. Thank you, Andy. Good to talk to you.